Thank you very much for tuning into conversations with Uncle Charles. And um, once again, I'm very excited about our conversation today. Um, I'm actually, I'm not calling it an interview. It's a, it's a conversation, you know, um, as this goes. And um, I'm going to be chatting to a young lady. Um, so this, this is how she sells herself on her website. She says she's known for running multiple side hustles across different countries, whilst working a full-time job as a director at a well-known financial services institution. So she specializes in side hustling. I'm just wondering what that is. Business management and project management whilst providing expert insights and guidance to anyone who requires it on how to follow your dreams and passions through side businesses whilst building a successful career. That's quite an impressive um, sort of... um, introduction to herself on her website but I, if you ask me she's kind of undersold herself really because um i know this young lady did too a lot she does a lot more than that really and who am i talking about i'm talking about lorraine wright good morning good afternoon good evening to you lorraine hello uncle charles hello <laughs> how, how are you i'm doing great thank you you know what a few months ago we actually um had this conversation sure um, but we had some technical hitches and therefore this conversation couldn't. But thank God for that because we have a lot more to talk about now. Mm-hmm. How are you doing anyway? I'm great. I mean, yeah, I'm great. It's been a um, challenging year, but it's um, uncovered a number of opportunities. So I'm, I'm positive. I'm, I'm, I'm in good spirits. So things are good things are good things are good we thank we thank god for that uh, but lorraine listen um today's conversation is going to be a little bit unconventional um so i'm talking to somebody who is of a different generation i'm of a different generation obviously and your introduction you said uncle charles so you know um i've got a few grays here and there uh but what we're going to talk about today i'm going to try and get into your way of thinking, your way of doing things. And I'm t- when I say your, I'm talking about your generation. And then I'm also going to try and articulate some of our way of thinking, which is our generation. And we're going to try and learn from each other, if, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Sounds good. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself, because obviously, you know, people can go to your website and find out about you. But tell us, who is Lorraine? Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for firstly for the opportunity. Um, I really do appreciate it. And I really am looking forward to this conversation. Um, in terms of who I am, so British born Ghanaian, or rather, as I've been corrected more recently, I'm a Ghanaian born in Britain. <laughs> um, okay. So I could probably stop saying British born Ghanaian now. But uh, yeah, I grew up in, in London, South West London to be exact. Um, I have never really lived in Ghana at all, um, but often go back and forth to Ghana just because I just love it um, there. I have also. Oh, it's just gone off. <laughs> Oh. Can you edit that part out? I don't like <laughs> oh, 
Well, that, that tells us how busy you are. Let so that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's on silent. Okay. Um, so who am I? Um, I normally refer to myself as a British-born Ghanaian, but more recently have been corrected and told that I am a Ghanaian born in Britain. Um, so now I am the kind of person that talks about my passion around being Ghanaian. Um, I was born in Southwest London to um, parents from a very, very humble background. They had moved or migrated to the UK in the 1980s. Um, and then they they subsequently had myself and my siblings um, and then looking at ways and means to kind of just navigate the system in order to put us through the right schooling. Um, so I've been to school through the UK system. I've never scored in Ghana, um, but went to secondary, primary school, secondary school um, and university all in London. I went to Brunel University to study um, information technology. Um, I then moved into the corporate world, so started to work into the, in the finance industry. But in parallel, I started really exploring some of my passions. And one of my main passions is really in the gospel music area. Um, so it was around the time that I was at university that I established one of my passions and, 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 and things I call my baby, which is University Gospel Choir of the Year. So that's been running very much in parallel to my corporate career. And out of that has spurred a number of different businesses and ideas have come through that so that's me in a nutshell well not not well it's less than a nutshell or is it more than a nutshell I'm not too sure what I'm talking about but you're very very modest because what you didn't tell us is the fact that you actually have an executive MBA from Oxford University as well uh yeah uh, okay yeah so I, I you that. you were you were trying to hide that <laughs> <But listen. laughs> well well done for well done for all those achievements very very Thank inspirational you. so what was it like growing I mean first of all uh, um how many other siblings do you have I've got two um a brother and a sister so it's a very moderate sized family then okay. what was it like growing up in in a Ghanaian household <laughs> in the UK interesting um I think it was you know those times, and again, this is probably part of our conversation, because I'm going to be very, very transparent, and I know a number of people my generation could probably identify. Those times, it wasn't cool to be African. So mm. those times when we would be dropped off at school or we would be hanging out with our friends, we would actually claim that we were Jamaican or Caribbean. And it was easier for me to do because of my last name, so my last name is right. So mm -hmm. I was able to slip in and say I'm Caribbean because it wasn't cool. We were bullied if we were considered to be African. You know, the terminologies that were used at those times, like African booboo and things like that, mm. were very, very rife. So we never used to, like, even if our parents or at the time my grandma, who had, my mum had flew, flown over from Ghana to come and take care of us, she would maybe drop off at the school gates. We would maybe run away and act as if that wasn't, our family member that has dropped us out of school. And I, reg I mean, I'm very, very embarrassed by the fact that we had done that. Um, but it was the, the, at the time, the peer pressure because it wasn't cool to be African, which fast forward to today, and now it's the reverse. The Caribbean is It is the reverse, isn't it? <laughs> so it's hilarious. It's so funny how the world works. But with that said, it was our culture that really kept us in check. Um, you know, my brother, who's a doctor now, my sister went to Harvard University. 
if it wasn't for those, the upbringing that we had as Ghanaians in, I wouldn't say a strict household, but a household that understood discipline and principles, we wouldn't be where we are today. So the household was very much, okay, Lorraine, here's your chores. On the Saturday, you know you need to go and clean the bathroom and the toilet. Um, for my sister, she had her chores. For my brother, he had his chores. And we all had to do it. There was no running away. If you were in your room and you were not studying, you're in trouble. Come and wash the dishes, come and do something. So I would actually, there was times because um, I actually hated um, doing certain chores. I actually found the job just to get me out of the house. <laughs> so at the age of 16, I managed to get my first job working in retail. And that was my way of, because my mum was, if you're not, if you're, if you're at home, you need to be doing something. You either should be studying or you should be doing some chores. And I hated both at the time. So I got a job, you know, and that got me out of the house over the weekend, um, but also was a blessing, um, you know, both ways because I was able to start building experience. But on the flip side, um, it was also great to have the, the principled nature at home that there are things that you should be doing at home as well. It's, it's interesting you should say that because uh, from somebody of my generation, because um, sometimes we got the impression that maybe, you know, we hadn't, we've left home, but not really left home because of the way we we brought up our children. Maybe we, were, we thought maybe we were too strict. But it's, it's interesting actually hearing that from somebody of your generation saying, hang on, a little bit of introspection here. Actually, maybe that wasn't too bad. Is that what you're trying to convey yeah. to me? Absolutely. Really? At the time, you wouldn't realise it, but in hindsight, it is a blessing. It's absolutely a blessing. The, when you don't, I mean, a number of other cultures have the same and similar principles that we live by, so I can't just say it's from being Ghanaian. Mm. But in the area we grew up in, in Brixton, in, in an estate, the statistically, you yeah. know, my family, my brother should have been in prison. Statistically, yeah. there should have been something negative that would have prevented us from progressing. So I think there are certain principles that my mum had taken from being, and again, my, my dad left the home very early, so they separated quite early. So my mum mainly brought us up. But um, the principles that my mum brought over as a, um, a late 20s, early 30s person was very much that from Ghana. You know, you, do, you respect your eldest, you, anyone, everyone and anyone is your auntie or your uncle as long as they're older than you. Um, you, you, you don't answer back, you don't challenge. Those are things that we, has been instilled in us. And I, I'm very, very grateful for it. But at the time, you wouldn't realise it and you would be very, um, um, how do I put it? It, it would almost be, in, inside you'll be really upset or you'll be angry but you couldn't show that, you see. So it's, it's interesting you should say that because you brought up a very, very important point as well because, you know, in society, oftentimes uh, you talked about the fact that your parents actually broke up when you were quite young and you were brought up mainly by your mum. But yet still, that discipline, um, she maintained discipline and she maintained, she, she managed to get you on the straight and narrow. I mean, you and your siblings. Uh, there's a perception sometimes in society and some people will back it up with statistics as well. And that's why I'm very um, happy about this because you're just saying that, you know, statistically speaking, your brother should have been in prison. So can we kind of dispel, is, would you say it's a myth to say if somebody actually grew up in a single parent home, doesn't necessarily mean 
that they're going to end up in prison or be a single, um, you know, have get pregnant and, and education gets curtailed or something like it depends on how, you know, what kind of upbringing. Uh, would, would you agree with that if I if I said? I, I do believe that. I think the myth um, of single parent households, you can't succeed from that, I, I think should be, um, is not the case. Um, I think that culture has played a part. Because if I look at where we grew up, the estate we grew up in, we were one of the very few African families that I knew of. The Caribbean families and the Caucasian families were the ones that I saw started to follow a cycle of either deprivation or cycle of um, criminal behavior or cycle of, and I don't want to generalize here. This is some people, mm, mm, um, mm. but it, well, I mean, it's, it's your lived experience. So, you know, yeah, but you know, anyone can look at this and then take that out of context. But from what mm. I've seen with my own eyes, those people that were from the Caribbean background versus, and those people that from the Caucasian background in the small estate I grew up in, I'm just referring to, we were one of the very few African families. And with that said, um, those people that were Caucasian families, um, probably you saw a cycle of um, having kids early, which isn't, I, I don't want to say it's a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, here to, to judge or anything like that. In fact, sometimes I wish, um, you know, a little bit younger, just, I'm not, I'm not that old now, but you know, by now I would have hoped I would have had kids. But anyway, put that part, part aside. Um, and I will very soon, by the grace of God. But um, with amen to that. <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> with, with that said, it's you do tend to find that the cycle is children, um, children having children, um, or growing up in households where maybe the children don't necessarily. And not. And again, I I really want to be um, careful here how I use my words, so I don't want people to take this out of context. But it might be because their parents don't go to universities, the children don't go to university and then their children don't go to university. And then maybe, and I'm not saying university is the only way and I would love us to dig into that a little bit later, but um, you tend to find that these people, these people, that sounds so bad. Those um, individuals that I grew up with might be people that might not necessarily break a certain scene or cycle Mm -hmm. in their family. And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm referring to. Wow, that's 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 interesting. So, uh, if you've just joined us, thank you very much uh, for um, tuning in to listen to conversations with Uncle Charles. And I have with me uh, Lorraine Wright, um, a young. Um, well, can you, Lorraine? How did you refer to yourself? British-born Ghanaian or Ghanaian-born in Britain? Which one do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, after being corrected, I now need to say I'm a Ghanaian born in Britain. <laughs> a Ghanaian born in Britain. So we'll, we'll go with that. That's If that's what she wants, then that's how we'll describe her. Uh, but Lorraine's been talking to us about, you know, growing up as um, in a Ghanaian family in the UK. And I think this applies to, it could be, she could have been a, Niger, um, you know, a, a British born Nigerian or a Nigerian who was born in Britain, whichever way. And I think we have a lot of, um, there's a lot of, commonalities um you know within within the african society because i've been quite close to quite a few of uh, non-ghanian families and we have so much in common you know um and i think what lorraine is talking about might represent the views of quite a few people but you did mention the fact that when you were growing up you know you found it very hard to be african what is it that changed <laughs> i think society changed um society changed in a way that and I can't quite put my finger on it but you know with the 
the introduction of maybe, or, or, or people like you, where you've put African music on the map, where um, you start to hear more and it became in fashion to listen to African music. And then you maybe start to see people of African descent that are in higher places. You started to see maybe um, corporations left by, led by Africans. You started to see startups led by Africans. You started to see um, cultural um, influences coming from Africa. I do think it's probably a lot to do with the music that crossed over. I think that was one of the defining moments of our, or of probably that that decade or the last couple of decades, um, that really helped. But I also think it was the advent of um, just modern society that, as you turn, as you tend to find that um, geographically, we were living in places that you almost feel borderless. Um, mm. because of the more and more um, Africans coming over um, with, with, with um, yeah, I just think with globalization happening, we're living in a world that is really without borders. So you, we could be African, we could be Chinese, Korean, Indian. You just start to see borders fall down so that we can just all unify better and more as a people. I tell you, from my side, though, you know, having lived in the UK for quite a number of years, I think one of the things that actually turned and, and definitely, I mean, I think music is very, very um, important. It's funny, funny you should say that because I was, I was, um, I was driving yesterday and just cutting through some, um, some uh, stations on, 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 in my car, and I landed on. I think it was BBC London. I can't even. Yeah, I think it was BBC London, and there was this show where. They were playing back to back to back African music. And I'm thinking that's on BBC, you know? So I, I, I definitely would not disagree. And if you think, even if you look at gospel music, the fact that the likes, uh, you know, I can mention names, but African gospel music, worship music going worldwide. Um, I think that's a big influence. But then also I'm thinking where I started seeing this turning around was a lot of African footballers coming yes, to Europe. Yes, actually, you're right. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the World yes, Cup, World, World Cup, Cup, where, World where Cup you had so... teams like Senegal, Ghana, yeah. Nigeria. You know, sort of beating some of these yeah. big teams, and it was like it's once again it's cool to be African. Exactly. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it was so cool to be African, and you're walking the streets and you see Caucasians, um, Caribbeans, everybody waving African flags and you know yeah. cheering African teams on, and I think that really um, kind of turned things things around so you know that's that's great but do you think your parents could have done a little bit more you know i'm talking from the perspective of of a parent to make you actually identify with your culture at an earlier age wow what a question okay um when you first asked the question i was thinking no but as you progress through the question i think yes the reason I say this is because I, I, one example is our language. I fully understand our language, the tree language, but I'm very bad at speaking it. Now, so it doesn't bode well when you're in a conversation with someone and they're speaking it, which I fully understand, but I will respond to you in English. Hmm. Now, the rationale or the reason behind that is because my mum, when she moved over to the UK, and she blames herself for this, um, 
when she moved over to the UK, she wanted to improve her English. So she would encourage us to speak, in, not necessarily speak English at home, but also to help her to speak better English. Right. Well, that was, and I, and I, I think she, that, she did that for a good reason. Mm. I mean, some, somebody might say, well, that was a bit selfish. But at the end of the day, you know, she also had to go out there and work and she needed exactly. the language. So, yeah, I, I get that. Exactly. But then I tend to look at my friends who are, it's just, it's, it's admirable when I'm like, they're able to switch. My best friend is German, a German-born Ghanaian. And she's able to switch from German to treat to English just like that and flow. And I'm like, that's so admirable. So I wish that I maybe had that opportunity as well because it, it just it, it allows you to be free. Now, put the language mm. part aside, um, I would also say that when we were younger, we came, my mum did make an effort to come, get us to come to Ghana um, often. So, like Christmas, um, summer holidays, for example, we'll come and she, might be, she actually put me in school over the summer holidays. So that's where I remember sort of, you know, my early ABCs in, in the tree language. I can I can recite that. Um, but then maybe we didn't come every year. It might be like once every three years or four years. So I think if we could have come back more often, I might have been able to pick up more things culturally. Um, and then maybe, but I don't think that's anything more than what she done. She could have, she, there's nothing more than what she's done. I, 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 I suppose every parent would like their kids to go back home, be it in the Caribbean, be it in Nigeria, be it in Ghana, but there's always that, there's a financial element, isn't it? And I think that's let's, it. That let, let's yeah. face it, it's, it's not, you know, you, you're not just going to Portugal or going to France or something like that. When you're going to Africa, you're traveling to Africa or the Caribbean, we're talking big money. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's expensive. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's expensive. It's not that cheap. And therefore, you know, every parent, as much as they would like their kids to go back and kind of get immersed in the culture and the food and the people and everything else, it's it's not cheap. And therefore, you'd work and save up for a bit. And then, you know, every now and again, you know, you go on a holiday. And, and so, you know, I think from, from I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of a parent. I, I don't know what you think about that, you know, from... I think you're you're spot on. I think it comes down to the finances, and especially if you're using the time of the summer when most people tend to go on vacation, and because to do some extra work. Yeah, I mean it's it's I don't know. It's you can't you. It's expensive a to fire that time, and yeah, being, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it. Yeah, it's just it's 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 all down to the finances. You know, it boils down to the finances. Boils down to the finances. So, because the other thing as well is, um, which I have had people of your generation accuse their parents of, is the fact that parents never really had time for you. Because maybe you know, did you did you ever go through a time where you you compared the time that your your parents spent with you? Um, with some of your colleagues from <laughs> other cultures, and you're thinking, how come my my friends been wow. to this? It's been to Disney Disneyland, and I haven't. You know, they went they went on holidays to Portugal, and I didn't. Was that something? This is so that- funny! Wow. Um, to be honest, my mom did very well. Um, we did go to Disneyland, and we always used to like with our aunties. We would. I remember. I have very fond memories of us going to the beach with the coolers, like cooler boxes. And mm. like where you've got the prepared so, a, a bit of jollof yeah, rice here. Exactly. All of that. And I love to do that with my children, you know. Like those are fond memories. 
But I think when it came to just normal days of the week, there were times that um, because my mum is working, we would then go to our friend's place and stay there after um, school and then she'll come and pick us up. And there we started to get more and more awareness of how the other, I don't want to say other half, the other um, cultures lived. So I'll go mm. normally um, stay at my Caucasian friend's house after school. And she, her and her parents will have like a sit down meal over the table. They'll talk. They would like, you know, the toys they will have will be different. You know, they have nicer houses. Their houses are decorated in different ways. And we'll be like, oh man, what? I was, at, I was at the time, I was like, I don't want my friends to come to my house because of how my, we, we've got an African type setup, you know? So, um, I wouldn't say that we were despising the fact that we didn't get enough time spent with our parents because that wasn't an issue really. Um, it was more around how we saw the other cultures living. Now, but I, I admire what my mum did because we always, I, I, those memories I would never forget of maybe the bank holiday Mondays or whatever it may be when we will head out to Brighton Beach or we will head out to Disneyland or we would go somewhere locally. I mean, we didn't have the money to go abroad but we will go, I mean, abroad is Paris to us. That was it, you know, but we never went to America. We never went to Asia. We never went to anywhere other, anywhere else in Europe um, or beyond. So, but from the little that we had, we were able to go to Bognor Regis, to Butlins, to, I remember we would also use the opportunity to do kind of, um, is it called, um, what was that event that they do, the Christian week that they do? At- oh, um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It's just, like that. Um, yeah, I, I remember, I remember. Yeah, um, and we used yeah, to do that. Yeah. And we used to do that with a family, and those were my holidays, which I enjoyed. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called. But, you what know, was it was Soul, Soul, not Soul Survivor, no. It wasn't Soul Survivor. Soul, Soul, Soul Survivor was another sort of festival. Yeah. Um, Christian, but I remember that. I remember okay. it in a minute. You know, well, yeah, it's it's quite interesting trying to sort of um, spring harvest. Spring harvest. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Spring harvest. Spring harvest. Yeah. But saying that, because um, you know, now you talk about spring harvest. You're from a very sort of um, very Christian background as well. In fact, the first time I met you, I don't know if you remember this, but it was in Pastor Kingsley's office. Really? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I, you know, I'd, um, I, I, I came to um Trinity, mm-hmm. and afterwards, I mean, Pastor Kingsley, being who he is, after service, you know, um, he would always invite me to his office after mm-hmm. service, and he was having a conversation with me. He said to me, "So, Uncle Charles, I'd like you to meet this young lady. <laughs> she is very, very, very hardworking. She's oh, entrepreneurial, wow. and she, you know, she, she's into the arts and the stuff that you do. Wow. And I'd really want you to meet her. And I think she sensed for you. You came to the office, and we had a chat. That was the wow. very first time <laughs> I met you. Now, tell me about Pastor Kinsley. What is it?" about pastor kinsley and his mentorship of of because i've met people who go to trinity baptist what is pastor kinsley i mean this is not supposed to be part of this conversation but just Mm. tell me because what i want to establish is the importance of having people um being led by the Mm. right people you know what can you say about pastor kinsley's leadership and the influence on your life oh actually cry (laughs) because this man is a man like none other um such humility, a man of discipline, a man of vision, a man of just, 
it's just incredible that there is people like this in the world. Um, a man, a father to so many, but yet can find time to be a father just to you. And I just think that's is incredible that he's able to do something like that. It's almost like that's God in a way. Not saying that's how I revere him. No, I'm saying mm. he's in made. He's literally made in that image of God, where God is a father to so many, but yet God makes time for you. So it's it's like it, he's he's able to do well with teaching. And he's able to do well with leadership, and they will be able to, and be able to push people. Um, it, I mean, he is very well connected, but yet I revere him so much. He's he's someone that I respect, someone that I cherish, someone that has, uh, yeah. I I, I don't I don't even know what words what words to say. But I, I, t- you know. I tell you what what blows my mind about him is of all his achievements and everything, he is still so humble and so accessible. That's it. You know, I mean, I can pick up a phone and call Pastor Kinsley and he, you know, if he misses my call, he'll call me back or yeah. I'll text him. He'll text me back. And I'm, you know, I, I always say that, you know, if my pastor was in my pastor, Pastor Kinsley is one of the very few people that I would have you know, I would have wished that was my pastor, you know, or I, I could submit to as a pastor. So anyway, let's move on because um, <laughs> otherwise we, we'll talk about Pastor Kinsley for the rest of this uh, interview. <laughs> um, but so saying that, uh, talk about yourself or well, let's talk about you in the finance uh, world as well. So, you know, after university now, what happened? Um, so after university, I landed a job with um, a management consultancy company. And that management consultancy company um, is called Accenture and was one of the companies I had done a summer internship with before. So I had landed a job with them. I mean, I didn't have to reapply, but because of my summer internship, I managed to secure the job already. But I think it was the, the recession had just finished um this was the 2010 this was around 2011 i can't remember now 2010 2011 and um when i was about to start with accenture um the they had told me that um they were not because of the or because of what had happened in the economic environment they were not taking anyone on so they yeah, actually, that, that, that was in 2010 wasn't it yeah, right, around financial then. financial world had been hit very hard I, exactly and so it was kind of, I was then put on what I would say, or what I would liken to right now is like furlough. So they, we didn't work, but they paid, and I hadn't even started the job, but they still paid us half our salary. So I used the opportunity to go and find some other jobs, and I went to go and work and live in the States for about a year. And I came back, I started with Accenture, and they put you on clients that are relating to particular service lines. And a service line that I was aligned to was Capital Markets Financial Services not by choice, but just out of alignment. And so it happened that I started working with them. And as a consultant, you are basically advising um, companies what they can do with their business processes and things like that. And the company that I was assigned to happened to be UBS. And it was a very small team as a consultancy team with the UBS as our client. It was a very small team. And there was a point where the boss at UBS then basically saw the kind of work that I was doing and actually poached me. So asked me if I would like to come internally and work for UBS as opposed to Accenture. And they dangled a very fat carrot in front of me, which I couldn't resist. <laughs> I, I like that, a very fat carrot. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I took the opportunity to, to jump. Um, 
And I haven't really regretted that decision at all. And I've been with UBS ever since in the financial services industry. However, the job that I do is more closely aligned to tech. So I studied information technology as part of my undergraduate degree. I knew that the future was always going to be tech and have always worked in that kind of area. Um, but through UBS, I've managed to live and work um, in Switzerland for almost four years, where I you know, was there, um, churched there, did everything there, and then came back and um, continued my, my, um, my career back in the UK. I mean, talking about your career back in the UK and with UBS as well, I mean, okay, here you are, an African working in the financial industry. That's not, how do I put it? Maybe things have changed, but when I was growing up, that wasn't the norm. You know, you, you people of my generation, you know, when, when you came here, you either came to school or you came to what we called hassle. And, you know, which you did all kinds of all kinds of things. And, you know, you might find your generation parents of your generation probably did some cleaning, did a bit of um, security, did some mini cabin because that's what, what you were conditioned to be. But uh, one of the things I've seen about your generation is it's quite different. Um, what What has changed in that respect as well? I think you're absolutely right. Those were the typical jobs that our parents came um, with. However, I think when we started to score and get our education here, I think we started to become aware of the various other opportunities that are out there. And especially our parents, you know, it's typical from African parents, they kind of push you in a direction of certain roles, you know, lawyer, accountant, engineer, banker, whatever. I was never really, or doctor, I was never really pushed into any area, to be fair. But I think just by the sheer fact that we were in good schools, which I'm very, very grateful for. My mum got us, got me into um, an amazing um, school, secondary school, which was um, good for me to start to understand what other things and opportunities are out there. So I do think it comes down to education. I think it comes down to having... seeing what else is going on through your friends um and then also through the fact that we had the opportunities to do work experience so through school and um, education the internships the work placements all of that really made things a little bit more transparent in terms of what opportunities were out there well tell me this right tell me um we're talking about occupations and professions and, you know, comparing my generation to your generation. And, you know, what we see now is the kinds of jobs that people of your generation are doing completely different. So as an African parent, and let's face it, a lot of us African parents still think that way, that when you go to university, you have to have a profession. You have to be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, um, a nurse, a teacher, something that you can always fall back on. But what I'm seeing with the current generation is that, you know, you have people who are YouTubers. You ask somebody, what do you do? They tell you they're a YouTuber. You have some, you ask somebody, what are you, what do you do for a job? And they tell you, I'm, um, I'm, I'm an influencer. You know, all these things are things that we're not accustomed to. And I think some way, somehow we still haven't made that switch. What are we missing? I'm still on the cusp of that switch as well. Because I think I'm on the cusp of 
when the cult influencer, YouTuber, creator type thing came about, I was still hesitant, not hesitant, but I was like, oh, this is probably going to be something that just passed by. Um, but I realized it's become a profession so much so that it's surpassing the typical day jobs that people It is, work isn't it? It is. Which is surprising, but um, understandable because of the way we consume things and we consume content in this day and age. So it's only right that society moves in terms of the way that we consume things, that the people that are producing that, it becomes careers in itself. Um, so I think why we haven't made the switch yet is purely because of the fact that our background has the, the whole ethos of um, it, it needs to be a nine to five, it needs to be something that's secure, you know, you need to have a paycheck at the end of it, all of that. But influencers and those kind of things doesn't necessarily give you that that kind of structure. These people are entrepreneurs, in essence. Um, mm. And I think we ourselves, when it comes to our children or our grandchildren, will need to understand and accept that, that these are new types of careers that somehow, some way, are surpassing the, tra- the traditional um, jobs. Do you think... Um our way of thinking or how we structure education should change because my generation, when we were growing up, we were always taught to have a profession, go to school, go to university, have a profession at the end of the day, and then you feed industry, as in you're you're a factor in production. It could be in a factory, it could be in an office, but do you think that need to change? It needs to change because I'll tell you why. Because um, one of the things that I see you doing a lot is sharing entrepreneurial ideas and doing things like that. What do we need to do as a people to move forward in that, in that respect? And I'm not just talking about my generation, but moving forward as a people. Wow. Um, yes, I think to your first point, Education system probably does need to shake up, as people have been saying for decades and years now. Um, so much so that whether it's through work experience, whether it's through what has is being taught, whether it's the curriculum, the curriculum definitely needs to be overhauled and making sure that there is elements of entrepreneurship in there. Um, I do think as well that we are in a society that's a capitalist society where, you know, everyone's out for profits and they do that, which means, you know, they, they're they kind of working for society or they're working for, for, for industry rather. And so I think it's, it's yes, the education system needs to be, be changed, but then our mindsets also somehow need to be changed to enable us to think like, how do I put it, like, our thinking is boxed right now. Our thinking is you you go to uni, get a job, uh, work for 50 years, retire, live off your state and your, your pension. But if we can change that somehow, and I'm not there yet in terms of my thoughts, and we also need to do that, but somehow change that, that we can, how do we put this? We can, university doesn't necessarily have to be the route to your, your dreams. Mm. However, I'm a believer of university because I believe there's other skills that you can gain. Sure, but I don't sure. think that um, just by going to university, I almost like it to liken it to being a Christian. 
just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. I think just mm-hmm. because you go to university doesn't mean that you're going to get a job. So or I'm, you're going to be successful in life. Exactly. If so I think that, but however, we go to church because we can fellowship, we can learn, we could get certain accountability. Very similar to university. We go to university because we, have discipline, we can get discipline, we can learn, we can fellowship, we can network. So there's other things that you can gain. But I, I do think there are other routes to that success as well. I haven't quite figured out um, how to address your, your question in its entirety in terms of how do we shift and have better understanding of these other unconventional type of jobs. But I think yeah. that's certainly something that needs to be done. I think you've kind of answered what I was I was looking for. Um, you know, talking about shifts in our thinking patterns, and I think that's very very important. We're talking about um, things to do with you know being entrepreneurial, um, which is one of the things that I admire you for. Um, is I, I'm looking at your qualifications, and obviously you've got an MBA, uh, but one of your qualifications is CSH, which is Chief Side Hustler. Um, you 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 do you have your, your fingers in a, in a lot of pies and, you know, that's the entrepreneurial part of you. Um, tell us about a couple of things that you're involved in. <laughs> C-S-H. Um, what am I involved in? So it all started with University Gospel Choir of the Year, which is an annual mm. competition um, that enables... And, and, and hold, hold it hold it there, saying that I'm, I'm very upset at you. This is me, right, being hypocritical. I'm very upset at you because this year we didn't get to go to University Gospel Choir of the Year. And I know the next, thing, the next thing you're going to ask me is what happened to Agma this year as well? I think Corona has been a terrible corona, thing, hasn't it? Corona, Corona, Corona. Yeah, but, we were all yeah, but ca- yeah. carry on. So we're you're involved in, in University Gospel Choir, yeah. Yes, Um so that has really been the driving factor behind a lot of things. So essentially a platform for university choirs across the UK um, to compete on a national scale, uh, which then morphed out of demand um, into a talent, a music talent agency. So we, um, I remember one day getting a phone call from the X Factor and it was like, hi, is that Lorraine? I was like, yes. And they were like, we're looking for some backing choirs to support one of our contestants on stage. And at the time, the biggest choirs were London Community Gospel Choirs and such. And I was quite closely connected to London Community Gospel Choirs. So I actually gave them a call and said, why have X Factor come to me? Why can't they come to you? And they were like, oh, um, I think it was about pricing or something like that. I can't remember. I was like, But they were like, yeah, just go ahead and do it. So um, we did that. We supplied some choirs to support their, um, to back their contestants. And that just led to more and more and more big bookings and gigs. And that forced us to basically start up a company supplying gospel choir talent, um, musicians, singers in the gospel slash urban area for weddings, corporate events and things like that. So that's what one of the things that I run and do. And that's called UV Talent, um, which then also morphed itself into the tech area um, for an app that I currently also have, um, which I'm, I'm pivoting at the moment. But um, nonetheless, it's something we started called Rockstar, which essentially is um, a a music singing app where people can upload themselves singing and they can share it with social media to encourage people to vote for them and they progress through the rounds, almost like an online version of The X Factor. Right, okay. Um, So that's something we have. Um, What else do I do? So I also have a um, beauty spa in Accra, Ghana as well. Um, I started up in January 2019. Again, just out of that one was spirit-led. Um, I had no interest in beauty whatsoever. 
but I had a passion for Ghana. And so at the time, the spirit led me to 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 open up a beauty spa. Um, and then more recently took on a role as a head of sales for a agritech company. Again, I have a big passion for, for, for Ghana, but looking at how to bridge the gap between people that don't necessarily reside in Ghana, but yet want to invest somehow. And so there was a company that I, I myself invested in. So I started off as a customer, um, which is for um, agriculture. So if you'd like to invest into crops, but yet not do all the hard work and the dirty work, but let someone farm on your behalf. Um, the company's called Growth for Me. And that's essentially what we do. We grow on people's behalf. I mean, it's, uh, let, let me just uh, chip in there. You know, it's quite interesting you're talking about agriculture because I know one of the policies of the Ghana government is growing for food and jobs, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but then oftentimes, you, when you think about that policy, you're thinking, oh, maybe I should go and do the farming. But here you are with a company that doesn't, it's, it's, it's not saying, no, no, you don't necessarily have to do the farming yourself, but your money can actually do the farming on your behalf and you're still involved in farming is that did, did that kind of inform your your thinking not necessarily um oh. because yeah i don't think that was necessarily what informed my thinking i think what informed me was that agriculture is always something that we're going to need i don't see that yep. dying out. people are always going to have to eat something exactly. don't they exactly so um, it was just an opportunity that's it. Yeah. That is it. If you have a, okay. a, and the startup cost, the startup is not that much when you're letting someone grow on your behalf. You don't have to spend all the money on getting farmland and all of that. Mm, you know? mm, mm. And what what else? Because I know you're involved with um with Uber as well. Yeah. So um, I have um, with a friend of mine. We I because I kept coming to Ghana very often, and I, and I don't have a car when I'm in Ghana only in the UK. And so when I kept going to Ghana, I was always using taxis or Ubers. And realized I was spending so much money on them. And thought to myself, okay, I started talking to the drivers to find out more about the system, how it works in Ghana. And I realized that from the drivers, at least 70% of them were driving someone else's car. So it wasn't their own car. And they started to explain to me that it's almost like they're loaning the car from the driver and they're paying the driver, the pay, sorry, they're loaning the car from the car owner and they're paying the car owner some money every week to be able to use the car. So they're kind of hiring it from the, from the, from the owner. And so I thought, that's interesting. I'm not always in Ghana. Let me go and buy some cars, came to Ghana, find the driver and get the driver to drive for Uber or Bolt um, and let them pay me every week. And I use that money to pay off the car and then start to make profit. So I did that together with a friend, and because Ghana does not, so the the, the cars are um, left-hand side drive, um, they're not the same as the UK, I had to go and source the cars from um, Switzerland, where I happened to have lived before. So it was easier for me, and my friend, as I said, um, a German-speaking or German-born Ghanaian, she's there in Switzerland, so speaks the language, and we're able to partner up and do it so that you know, she can source the cars, ship them over to Ghana. When I'm in Ghana, I can help get them cleared um, and, and registered, etc. help find the giant drivers and then get them on the road. So that's what you've been doing. Wow, 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 Laurie. I know you do consultancy as well, so I'm not going to ask you to go into detail because obviously um, that's, um, that's another ha- side hustle for you with regards to consultancy. But you do have a YouTube channel as well. Tell us about a YouTube channel and how people 
um, can subscribe to the channel and what kind of information they can find yeah, there as well? That's very, very recent. And it was not by choice um, because the kind of person I am, I always felt like I'm not there yet. I always felt like I've got so much more that I need to achieve. Um, however, through having conversations with people and through the consultancy um, work, realized that, you know, with the little that I do know, at least be able to give that back in some way, shape or form. And so I started to be able to find the best way to do it, just to make the most efficient use of my time, because I always used to get people to request from me directly um, the information. I thought, let me just put that out. So this is just basically the art of chief side hustling, um, you know, how I've managed to do it alongside my full-time job, um, the various ways I've started up my businesses. And so I try to release content every one or two weeks. Um, but yeah, so people can find it by either searching my name, going to my website, which is lorrainewright.co.uk, or they can simply go to YouTube and search for Chief Side Hustler or Lorraine Wright, and hopefully, fingers crossed, it should come up. You know, Lorraine, we could talk forever because, I mean, you know, things that I had in mind, I I don't think I've even scratched the surface yet. You know, that would mean we'd have to talk. But I know you're a very busy woman. Um, you know, we, we actually struggle to 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 find this time to actually have this conversation. So I'm not going to keep you too long. I've kept you long enough. Well, we've been talking for almost an hour um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll call you back um, not too long from now to have a, a much more um, in-depth conversation. So we've, we've only just scratched on the surface, but uh, can I just say a very big thank you to you? And I don't know if there's anything you'd like to tell us um, maybe um, your other social media handles as well and how people can get in touch with you if they want to have a chat with you and pay you for it as well you know or book a meeting with you um, <laughs> how, how do people do that yeah so you could book a meeting with me through um, Cal Calendly uh, so calendly.com forward slash Lorraine H. Wright you can follow me on Instagram at Lorraine H. Wright um, you can visit my website, which is lorrainewright.co.uk, um, or you can simply just email me as well. So, um, you know, I'm sure if you just type in Lorraine Wright, you should be able to find me one way or another. 